Let's turn to God's Word. Uh, let's read from Habakkuk chapter 3 this morning. Habakkuk chapter 3, we're going to take time to read the whole chapter. And in the Lord's will, this morning we will finish our studies in Habakkuk. We've been asking the question throughout the book, as our general title, Has God Gone Missing? And today we're thinking on this title, A Worshipping Faith. A Worshipping Faith. Habakkuk, please, in the chapter 3. And we're reading from the verse 1. And this is the word of the Lord. And it reads, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigunath. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known in wrath. Remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from the Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. And his brightness was on the light. He had horns coming out of his hand and there was the hiding of his power. Before him went the pestilence and burning coals went forth at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations. And the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of cushion in affliction. And the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea, that thou didst ride upon thine horses and thy chariots of salvation? Thy bow was made quite naked, according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah. Thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. The mountains saw thee, and they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hand, hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thine arrows they went, and at the shining of thy glittering spear. Thou didst march through the land in, in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed. Thou wouldest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the fountain unto the neck, foundation unto the neck, Selah. Thou didst strike through with his staves the head of his villages. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. The rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly. Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses through the heap of the, of great waters. When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. Although the fig tree shall not blossom. Neither, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. 
Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be, I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places, to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. We trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts this morning. Let's pray with God's word open upon our laps. Father, we thank you for the time that we have spent already in your presence. We thank you, Father, for hymns that we can sing together to worship you. We thank you, Father, that we stand on your promises. We thank you, Father, that we come before you and as we read your word that we come seeking to learn once more. And Father, we thank you that this is a living book, a spirit breathed. We pray that, Father, the Spirit of God would aid us in our understanding of it this morning. We thank you, Father, that this book is the only book that we can read, where its author is always present with us as we read it. And so, Father, we ask that you would minister to our hearts. We ask that you would make the book live, and may it live on us today. Hear our prayer, O God. Father, hide me behind the cross of Christ. Father, may your voice only be heard today. Fill me afresh with your anointing. Fill me with your spirit, I pray. And give me the help I need this morning. I ask this all in the precious name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Close to my parents' house, there's a small island and it's quite popular for walks. It's called Island Hill. And it's a pretty short walk. Uh, You would walk out on a causeway and then you would walk around the island and then back to your car. And sometimes when you're there, when you begin to, when you begin your walk, the sun is shining, uh, the sea is glistening and there's a lovely breeze uh, and uh, it's pleasant and life is wonderful. I'm sure you can picture it as you're going out, a lovely walk to go on. But from time to time, After you've completed a few laps around the island, sometimes the weather can change and the clouds roll in very quickly and it begins to rain and all of a sudden the path can become quite mucky and messy. And then the causeway, you're on your way back in the causeway and you're not protected from the elements anymore and you're running back to the car and you're miserable and you're soaking wet and it's just horrible. But then you get into the car and when you're finally there, you look out and you remember that behind those clouds, the sun is still shining. Really from the beginning of the book of Habakkuk, the clouds have been there and it's been torrential rain and Habakkuk has struggled to remember that the sun is always shining. Do you remember when we started our studies, the prophet, he was down in the valley And he was bogged down in the mire and he was calling out and he was crying in desperation and he was questioning God's plans. And then he climbed higher and his circumstances never changed. The clouds were still there. The rain was still falling, but he didn't give up on God. And he climbed up into the watchtower and he waited for God's reply. And this morning we're going to see That even though the clouds are still there at the end of the book, actually in many ways the circumstances have not changed at all from the start to the finish of the book, 
The prophet still sees the sin of the nation. There's still an incoming invasion from the Chaldeans. Exile is on the way. But what has changed? Not the circumstances, but the prophet's attitude. In verse 19 of chapter 3, we find the prophet, and he's binding around the mountain, uh, on the top of the mountain, he says, and hangs legs, like a deer's back legs on top of a mountain. He's reached to the highest possible ground he can. His circumstances have not changed, but he has changed. Did you get that? That's key. His circumstances had not changed, but he had changed. The Chaldeans are coming. The Israelites are going to be judged. Nothing's changed. Circumstances from beginning to end of book. But the prophet's got a new attitude. Now he's walking by faith and not by sight. Remember the key verse we thought about? The just shall live by his faith. He was now living by God's promises and not by his own reasoning and his own explanations. Think about it for a moment as... This is the Habakkuk that we've been learning about over these weeks. That the Habakkuk who's been full of questions, questions, God, what are you doing in the world? Why are you raising the Chaldeans? Why are you picking a more evil people than your own to judge them and chastise them? Lord, what are you doing? And he's questioned and he's questioned God and his works and his ways. But in this beautiful chapter, chapter 3 that we have read, Habakkuk has now seen what God is doing in his world because God has revealed to him that the just shall live by his faith. So Habakkuk turns and he sings a psalm of faith. In the midst of ruin and in the midst of impending punishment, he declares his trust in God. Let me tell you, it isn't easy to climb out of the valley. I know that. And there's tough journeys and tough lessons to learn. But like Habakkuk, we must talk to God about the things that are difficult to us. We must pray. We must trust God's word. We we must be ready for God to deal with us in any way. In the end, it's always worth it. As we'll reach new summits of faith and we'll discover new opportunities for growth and for service. And as we conclude our studies in this book this morning... There's some amazing lessons again for us to learn as God's children. Our prophet, he's praying again. Isn't it amazing in such a short book how much time the prophet spends in prayer to God? He knows that even when he can't understand, he can go to the Lord in prayer. In this chapter, it's a great prayer. It's a classic example of prayer. Habakkuk's attitude in his prayer is simply, God, I don't understand everything. I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. But what I do understand is you're righteous, you're eternal. You never make mistakes. You hate sin. You're the God that never does anything wrong. And I'll stand on your promises. And I'll trust in what matters to you and that you know what you're doing. And that's his attitude in this prayer. Read verse 1 with me. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shegunath. Now, what on earth is a Shegunath? It's also found in Psalm 7. And it's some form of musical instrument that would have been used in worship. You see, when we're read, what we're reading here this morning is Hebrew poetry. It's a psalm. You can see that because three times within it, in verse 3, in verse 9, and verse 13, you have that word selah that you find throughout the book of Psalms. And this just means a little pause. It's a musical pause. It's a time to stop and to look back and to reflect upon what you've just read. 
And so this word shigioneth, it seems to be a musical instrument which also has a musical setting in which it's to be played. And in this psalm, in verse 19, in the second half of it, you see here it says, to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. This was a hymn, a song that had been written. So it's a setting, this shigioneth. It's a, it's a musical setting. It's a way that the psalm was to be played. And Habakkuk had written it. And this is how it ought to be played and performed. And, and he has heard the great promise of the ages. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. And God has answered Habakkuk, and this is his response. And there's a few little phrases that we're going to pick out from the psalm. We won't consider every verse this morning, but just a few phrases that we can pick out and glean from in this psalm that Habakkuk sings. And the first phrase is this, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. Now I say this gently to all of us here, why was he afraid? Remember how we looked at the watchtower and the responsibility of the watchman, God. He has now answered. Habakkuk has heard God's speech and he's afraid of, of failing God. He now knows his responsibility before the Lord. And fearing God is of extreme importance. It means that we give God full priority in our life decisions. That his word is our delight. And we'll do anything to ensure that we're serving him with our whole hearts. You see, what Habakkuk has learned is that you must fear God. I have heard thy speech and was afraid. He learned what the boldest men of old learned. Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Elijah. That when God speaks, you quit. And you listen, when God speaks, you must fear him and you must listen to what he's saying. I wonder, is there some Christian here today and God's been speaking to you for some time and you've been hearing, but you haven't been fearing. We must fear. And I believe that it's, that, that I believe that it's not the world that needs to repent first in these days. I believe it's the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ needs to come back to their God. Judgment must begin at the house of God. We need to begin to hear God's word again. We need to begin to fear God again. And then we'll see God move. It would do us good to take a lesson from the godless Babylonian emperor Belshazzar. It says of him when he heard the word of God, his countenance changed. His thoughts troubled him so that his joints of his loins were loosened and his knees smote against one another. I think we underestimate the responsibility that we have as the children of God. Why? Because God judges us upon what he tells us to do. In other words, when God reveals something to us, when God gives us a word, just as he gave to Habakkuk, the just shall live by his faith, we must claim it. And here we have another spiritual law found in Proverbs 28 and the verse 9. And this is, let this burn into your heart today. This is what it says in Proverbs 28 verse 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. He that turneth away his ear from hearing God's law, even his prayer 
shall be an abomination. You and I have a responsibility to get to know this book before us, to live it out, to obey it, to fear God, and remember, as we learned in weeks gone by, to proclaim it. Oh Lord, I have heard thy speech. And was afraid, says Habakkuk. But I want you to see what he says next in verse 2. He says this. He says, revive thy work in the midst of the years. Those words are rich. And surely as we sit in the cusp of our mission, could we not pray this for the hamlet of Grange and the surrounding area? Could we not say the same thing and pray what we read in verse 2? O Lord, I've heard thy speech and I was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known in wrath. Remember mercy. I wonder do we believe that God can revive our nation? I wonder do we believe in a God who can still sweep many souls into his kingdom? And it takes us to claim these words for ourselves. O Lord, here in Grange, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In wrath, remember mercy. Oh, it takes men and women to fall on their knees and to plead with the Lord, revive thy work. How there needs to be revival in our hearts, a new zeal and a new passion for holiness. We need showers of blessing and we need revival again. Revive thy work, O Lord, while here to thee we bow. Descend, O gracious Lord, descend, and come and bless us now. God has just talked to Habakkuk in chapter 2 and told him he's going to deal with the Chaldeans because he always deals with sin. I've heard thy speech and was afraid. Revive thy work in the midst of the years. And he adds in wrath, remember mercy. Now look at his position. He's standing in the midst of absolute dilemma and he's afraid. He's afraid of himself. He's afraid for Israel. He he can't seem to justify and rectify all the parts of the puzzle, but he knows that God understands and God is the one who made this puzzle and God is always right. And Habakkuk, he's caught in a dilemma But notice, he doesn't ask the Lord in this psalm for deliverance. He doesn't ask for personal escape. He doesn't ask for ease in his trial. He doesn't even pray that God would spare Israel. He doesn't pray that they would have victory over the Chaldeans and that they would lose, that the Chaldeans would lose the battle. He doesn't pray that Jerusalem won't be sacked. He doesn't pray any of these things because he knows God is a just judge. So he doesn't even bother with those things. What he does pray for is this. He prays that God will do his work. What a tremendous truth. Do you see the change from the beginning to the end of the book? Why God? To do your work, God. Your will be done. But Lord, have mercy on us. Do you see what's happened? The transition from the start to the end of the book. At the beginning, we find a prophet who's puzzled. And now we find a prophet who's praising. At the beginning of the book, we find a prophet who's wondering. And and now at the end of the book, we find a prophet who's worshipping. Instead of sighing, he's now turned to singing. And listen to me, and listen well. The prophet cries out, revive thy work. Is it not time that we got down and pleaded for God to move? No matter what it takes, Lord. If it means judgment, if it means persecution, are we willing to say, revive thy work in the midst of the years? I genuinely think at times God's people don't believe revival can happen in our part of the world. 
Some will say society has gone too far. No one's interested in the Bible and its message anymore. No one is sympathetic to the gospel anymore. There's no chance of revival. Or maybe we're not willing to say that aloud, but I wonder, do we really believe it? Listen, every revival I've read about had a dark backdrop. You could have said that there was no hope before those revivals, but that's what makes it miraculous. That's what makes it a work of God and not of man. It means we can attribute to it to, it to God and that God has moved. Do you know what God can do? Do you? Do you know what God has done in years gone by in this very country? 1859, Coleraine, town centre where the town hall is. Three young men decided to preach in the open air. They walked into the square, the marketplace, there at the town hall. And they stood in amazement as 15,000 people crowded into that gathering. And there was absolute silence. You could have heard a pin drop and every word the, pre- the preacher preached was heard by everyone. And out of that silence there, there was a cry of a young man who fell to his knees in conviction of sin. And then there was a cry from here and there and all cries all around of sinners under the, the spirit of God's conviction. And the town hall was overwhelmed with souls seeking Christ. And the ministers and pastors couldn't deal with it all. There was such a move of God in our land. That's right. It happened in our land. And it can happen again. What about Wales? Where the Spirit of God fell on a man called Evan Roberts. And he changed the nation for Christ. We know about the Hebrides in Scotland. The Isle of Lewis, Duncan Campbell, anointed preaching. Men and women were convicted. Souls were saved. Even before they got to the churches, they were falling with conviction of sin. They were like heather all around the mountains, falling before the face of God. That has happened in our islands in the United Kingdom. And I believe God can do it again to you. Revive thy work in the midst of the years. And wrath, remember mercy. Dear brothers and sisters, don't forget... God is moving in mighty ways and revival right round our world today. Don't get blankered. Don't just look at the UK. There's many places around our world where souls are being sweeped into the kingdom of God. Remember to have a world view. God is moving. God is saving. But oh, that we, his church here in Northern Ireland, would cry out to God and ask him to move across this land again. Provide thy work in the midst of the years. Thirdly, This is the prayer that we find in verse 3 in the psalm. Habakkuk said, His glory covered the heavens. The earth was full of his praise. You see, what happens now is Habakkuk remembers the faithfulness of the Lord in the past and he reminds himself of that. And what he reminds himself, first of all, is that God came in splendor. He remembers his God's faithful works and it leads him to praising his God and God has shown his glory. So for the majority of his prayer in this chapter, he remembers what God has done in the past. You know, a great part of anyone's prayer life is to praise God for what he's done in the past. I wonder, do you and I praise God for what he's done in our lives in the past? 
That's exactly what Habakkuk does. He finds consolation in a godly interpretation of history mixed with great crescendos of exalting God. So from verses 3 to 15, he's expanding on all the glories of God that are available to him. And he paints the sweeping and glorious picture of God. And he praises God for what God has done in the history of the Israelites. And he reminds himself of certain facts along that journey of Israel's history. He reminds himself of captivity in Egypt. He reminds himself of the Red Sea. He reminds himself of the wilderness, of the defeat of many nations as the children of Israel possessed the land. He reminds himself of how God led them through to that promised land. He reminds himself of how God came in splendor. You remember back in chapter 1 and verse 12, Habakkuk had said, we shall not die. He reminded himself that God is faithful and keeps his promises and the nation would not die. And I want to very quickly sweep through these verses. And honestly, you could do a full study in each of them. But look at verse 3. It starts out, he says, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Here he's talking about God's people at Sinai. These terms are in Deuteronomy 33 in relation to the area of Sinai. And he says God was on Mount Sinai. He goes on and he describes God in this way in verse 4. His brightness was like the light. And that word light is the word for sunlight. He had horns coming out of his hand and there was the hiding There was the hiding of his power. You know, this light, I believe, that is spoken about here, it's speaking about the glory and splendor of God. Do you remember that brilliant light that was shining off the face of Moses and shining off the tablets of stone in his hands after he came down from the mountain in the presence of God? That was the very essence of God. What a beautiful description as he thinks about that brightness and the glory of God that was revealed to Moses and even to the people as he came down the mountain. And then there's this horn. Now the translation of this can speak of actually rays of light, but it also speaks of strength and of power. And he's speaking of God's splendor and how God is strong and how God is powerful in all situations. You can feel these tones that we sensed at the end of chapter 1 when we thought about what we know about God. And as Habakkuk reminds himself of what God has done, he's standing on the strength and the power of his God and he's standing on the solid rock, the rock of ages. And then in verse 5, he's talking about Egypt and the plagues when he says, Before him went the pestilence. What God is doing for Habakkuk is painting this picture and God one day will destroy all their enemies but Habakkuk's looking back and he's saying you've been faithful in every single one of these situations and you will be faithful again. You came in splendor and you will come again in splendor. He also reminded himself that God stood in power. God makes it clear that he will deliver them as he has in the past and Habakkuk pictures God in in verse 6. And he stood measuring the earth. Look at verse 6. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations. He stood and measured the earth. God looked at the nations. He drove them away. He destroyed them with one look. Verse 6, it speaks of the everlasting mountains and the hills, how they trembled. They were scattered. They, 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 They bowed before God. The mountains and the hills, they're described here as perpetual. 
Now that's a strange word and one that we don't hear often these days. That means they, they go on from year to year, from time to time. They're symbols of everlastingness. They're, they're symbols of stability. And they're, they're, they're there. And God is saying here that even the symbols of men, even of nature that seem to be permanent, God will move and God will crumble even the mountains. And nothing can stand before God, whether they be nations or nature. Verse 7 speaks of the Arab tribes that heard the word of God and they feared before the eternal God. He is powerful. It speaks of how God stood in power. But then also he remembers how God marched the Israelites in victory. Verse 10, it refers to the waters of the Red Sea parting. Verse 11 reminds us that the Lord made the sun, moon, and moon stand still for his people. Remember that in Joshua 10, 13. Verse 12, as the Israelites marched through the land, God gave their enemies into their hands. What does this tell me? It tells me that God delivers his people. And if it seems impossible, whether by nature, whether by intellect, God delivers by miracles. Do you believe in miracles? I do. Because I believe in God. He'll deliver his people. He will save his own. He tells us how in verse 13, Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed. Thou thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the neck. How does God save? He saves by his anointed. Now this is beautiful. The Hebrew word for anointed is the word Messiah. And the Greek word for Messiah is the word Christ. The word for salvation that's mentioned three times in this verse, do you know what it is? It's the Hebrew word Yeshua. That's Jesus. He delivers his people with the anointed Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Christian. We can look back. We see the Lord Jesus right throughout scripture. We see the Old Testament point to him. We see the gospels and they tell us about his life on earth, here on earth. Then we can look back and we can see how he saved us. And then we can read the epistles and they tell us how to live for him. And then we know that even when trials and temptations come, that he's always there. Again, verse 14, 15, God God refers to battles that have been won for his people up until now. But listen, in this prayer, this hymn of praise, Habakkuk describes his God... And he has finally grasped who God is. He is the God of glory who reveals his glory in creation and history. He's the living God who makes idols look ridiculous. He is the God of power who commands land, sea, heaven and earth. And there's no doubt about it. Our theology, our understanding of God is of extreme importance. Habakkuk's understanding is now sound. He's turning and he's worshipping God. He's thinking of the anointed one. Christ has not come yet. Yet he speaks in, in the prophecy how the anointed one will one day come. Therefore, when we think of this as a hymn, the hymns we sing in this place and the sermons we listen to ought to be ground in biblical doctrine. Young people, be careful what you play in the car, your room, your headphones. Be careful who you listen to. So many listening to Hillsong. So many listening to Bethel music. I say on the authority of God's word, these are apostate churches. Stay away. 
They aren't teaching the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. While their hymns may sound good, while their hymns may sometimes even have sound words, what they're teaching in their churches is far, far from what I read in God's word. Be careful who you listen to. You see, by the time we get to verse 15, Habakkuk is singing good theology, and he's pretty well convinced that God's not going to fail him now. And he's leaning on his rock and his high tower. How are things for you today, dear child of God? Are you burdened? Are you struggling to get through the day? Are the waves of the storms of life too much for you to take? Spurgeon was a man who suffered from great depression for the majority of his ministry. And he said this. He said, I have learned to kiss the wave that strikes me against the rock of ages. The waves are still crashing in in Habakkuk. But these coming waves drew him closer to his God and restored his faith in God. He believed God. He had fantastic faith. If you've got a trial today, dear brother, dear sister, now we can see the key. We look back just like Habakkuk. We start remembering God's continued, constant, never-ending, never-hesitating, never-stopping faithfulness. And we take it from there. And we can stand face to face with the problem. And we can back off that problem and say, now wait a minute. Not only is God good and right and never does anything wrong. And not only does he love me and care for me. And not only is he the kind of God who is absolutely eternally righteous. But something else about him. He, he is also absolutely and eternally faithful. And in my situation he will not forsake me. Think about the promises in God's word. He has promised to keep that which I have what committed unto him. Against that day, that's a New Testament promise for us. Jesus said, I will never what? Leave you, nor forsake you. And God has proven himself to be faithful through all, throughout all the years. Why would he cease from being faithful when it comes to you, dear child of God? His victory march continues till the day. Every eye and heart shall see him. God has proven himself over and over again, finally and very briefly, as we come to the end of his psalm in verse 18, we read these words, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. His circumstances have not changed. From why? To rejoicing. We know that Habakkuk, he has seen it in the past with Israel, he's he saw it as he addressed God in his present prayer and that God of the past was his God in this moment and God is an unchanging God. And when he realized that God was with him and when he realized that God was speaking to him, he tells us that his belly trembled and his lips quivered at the voice of God and his self-righteousness was realized to him that he, he had this rottenness, Habakkuk had this rottenness that had entered into his bones and he trembled within himself. And his inner self was completely wrecked. Yet at the same time, he realized who God was. And he says in verse 16, Even though I know all this, I can rest in the day of trouble. There may be a day of trouble in your life. It might be happening right now or it might be around the corner. 
I don't know what that trouble is. And it will shake you and it will make your belly shake and rottenness might enter into your bones and your lip may quiver and your inner man may shake. But if you're in Christ, and you're, let me tell you, you're founded and anchored in him. You can rest in the very midst of the storm. And that's why Habakkuk can say in verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. And like the deer who dwells on the mountain, Habakkuk jumps to higher ground in his day of trouble and he says, my God, he is my strength. We too today in our trial can find joy there in the trouble because God is still our strength. What are we to take from the book of Habakkuk as we close? What lessons and gems can we cling to? Here's a man who was perplexed with his problems. But yet when he took a step back, he wasn't perplexed in his relationship with God. It's the old story, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Every time you and I have a problem, a dilemma in our world, it doesn't mean that our relationship with God is broken down. Look at verse 17. Even if the fig tree doesn't blossom, even if nature itself fails, God is still in control. And he says, even if everything goes wrong all around me, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like hands feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places. What a way to finish the book. Habakkuk admits his guilt. And if we admit our guilt and we admit our doubt and we admit our failures and if we come before God and get up into our watchtower and get on our face before God and cry to him and leave our problems with God from a standpoint of faith and trust in him and trust that God is almighty, God will come and he will carry you through because he's faithful forever. He's perfect in love and he's sovereign over all. Oh, we need to come to God with our hearts. We need to come as a local church. We need to bow before him and cry out to him and ask that he would move in individual lives, that he would move in our lives, that he would revive our hearts in the midst of the years, that there would be a might, mighty move of God. The soul that on Jesus has learned to repose, I will not. I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake. I'll never, no never, no never forsake. We're going to sing that hymn as we close that part of our service. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said? You who unto Jesus for refuge have fled.